0: Hello, everyone, from the University of Pleasure. This is Dr. Tara Janssen, licensed psychologist and certified sex therapist. Due to some scheduling conflicts, Jeremiah James and I have not been able to record an episode this week, but we are excited to get back to you next week with a brand new episode. Take care, and I hope everyone is being safe and finding time for a little bit of pleasure.
1: Clinical Disclaimer. This podcast is focused on education and entertainment. While we love to help and teach, it is not meant to be used as a replacement for clinical services. If you are experiencing significant relationship issues or major concerns in your sexual, physical, or mental health, please seek the services of a professional provider near you.
0: Welcome to the University of Pleasure,
1: where we have sexual conversation to help build a happier nation.
0: I'm Dr. Tara Jansen, licensed psychologist and certified sex therapist.
1: And I'm Jeremiah James, and I'm just a guy who likes talking about sex. Doc, I had a dream about you last night. Did you now? I did. And it had to do with volleyball. It was very <laughs> freaking well, then strange. What's
2: the ter-
0: was I terrible? Because you were then that actually accurate.
1: the funniest thing was you were giving me crap about the rules through the whole game.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to dive into
1: it. <laughs> it was so weird. But you're in my dreams. Welcome back to the University of Pleasure, folks. Very excited today. Not that I'm not always excited, because I kind of am always excited to be here with you, Doc. Good to see you.
0: Good to see you, too. Always a pleasure. Is it? You know, it's a a mix of emotions every time, Jeremiah.
1: I get that a lot. I get that a lot. But thank you, Doc. If that was a compliment in any way, shape, or form.
0: (laughs) It's however you want to interpret it, Jeremiah.
1: Thanks. Then I'm going to take it as a nice thing that you said. Thanks, Doc. (laughs) We're really excited because we're going to be having a roundtable discussion today. Today is a new kind of uh, format for us, and I'm really excited about it. I know the doc's really excited about it. We've got two guests, one you know, one you don't. So uh, let's get into some introductions. What do you say, doc?
0: do it. Absolutely. I'm super excited.
1: All right. Well, our correspondent who can't go anywhere to be a correspondent who is in his house waiting to talk to us, of course, is the Greg, the ultimate correspondent. Greg, welcome back to the show.
2: Well, thanks. Glad to be here. And I like to see that you're wearing your uniform, Jeremiah, the (laughs) ducktail t-shirt that has been Mentioned on previous episodes. This is one of my favorite <laughs> T-shirts. I'm not
1: ashamed to admit it. I love the Ducktales. Although I wasn't a huge fan of the reboot, it was still good to hear that. You know, I mean, listen, I can do that whole song. Like, Race cars, lasers, airplanes. Here in Duckburg. Anyway, the point is, I love that show, and I'm not ashamed. I wear it with pride. Okay. <laughs> So get off of me about my clothes. By the way, the doc was giving me a hard time last week about my lights being broken, and there were all kinds of problems. And she's making fun like of me. I like you're which...
0: coming in. You're coming in already very, very hot to go here, Jeremiah. today. I, mean, I have
1: to go. He's talking about my shirt. Last week you were talking about my light situation. Is it better today? It's softer. It's better. It's softer and better. Thank you. I thought it gave me a really nice angle on this side of my profile, which was my better side. Um. Anyway, we also have. A very special guest who I'm very excited to introduce. So I'm going to give this a go because it's a bit of a mouthful and I want to make sure I get everything in and everything right. Because yet again, I did zero research until we were sitting down to do the podcast.
0: That's not research. That's research would be prior.
1: <laughs> so. That's what I said. I did zero until we sat down. Wait, wait, so you're saying when I sat down, that's not research. That's what you're getting at. That's
0: just improv and showing up. That's what that
1: is. Thank you, Doc. I appreciate you. And I'm excited to introduce Laura Rademacher, licensed marriage and family therapist and a certified sex therapist. Bada boom. Welcome, Laura, to the University of Pleasure. We're thrilled that you're here.
3: Thank you. You did that so well. I know that was a lot.
1: It was a lot. And thank you for the compliment. I am, don't get those often here in the University of Pleasure, so I will take it. Thank you.
2: Well, Laura, you must have giant business cards with a title like that.
3: Um, well, if you want to hear the worst thing that's ever happened with my business cards, um, you know, I was designing my business cards. And true, licensed marriage and family therapist and certified sex therapist. That's pretty big. So I was playing with the fonts. I was trying to figure it out. And I sent it in, thought everything was okay, got a box of business cards delivered to my house that said, Laura Rademacher, sex.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I was like, how did this
3: happen? And that sounds did, like a
2: business card I would have. I, I,
3: I was like, I can't even let these get out because what if they circulate? And... <laughs>
0: Can I have you one
3: know. of those. I would love to I think there's about four hidden somewhere in my house. So yes, if I if I run across one, Tara, I'll give it to you.
0: Those are ones you just you know you you take for a night out, Laura. Yep. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I also have to say though, you I mean the one thing we didn't put on the title, which I think you should put on the title as well, is that you're also an author. You have a book yes. out there.
3: Yeah, I do.
1: I'm also a writer myself. Uh, I don't want to brag about it, but uh, some people may know that a whole other life of mine is being a writer, right? Right there, Doc?
0: Yep. Yep. Although I do think a lot of people know you You talk about it with some level of frequency, so I think a fair number of people know by now.
1: Fair point. Okay. But we want to talk about your book, and again, it's very exciting to have you here. We're going to be doing a new format, like I was saying a little bit more in the intro there. And it's going to be a bit of a roundtable discussion about a topic that I would I would have to say people find to be a sensitive subject for people and and makes them a little nervous and stuff to talk about, especially in, uh, you know, the, the time we're living in now. So we're going to get to that. But first, let's talk a little more about Laura Rademacher and her fantastic book, The Principles of Pleasure. Working with the good stuff as sex therapists and educators. I think, first of all, this is brilliant. Anything that has pleasure in it because this is the University of Pleasure is something that we are going to very highly promote. We will do it again later in the episode because uh, people should read this book. I mean, it's written by a sex therapist. It's got pleasure in the title. Win, 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 win scenario. Would you agree, Doc?
0: I do agree. I absolutely agree. Perhaps we should have Laura tell us a little bit about the book.
1: She should absolutely describe a little bit about this book because I didn't even read it because clearly we all know I don't read. Uh, And Greg actually uh, said something offline a little bit ago. Is there an audio version of it that I could listen to? Is there an audible version? I'm a listener, not a reader.
3: You know, there's not an audio version. That would be so great. Um, it's it's written for sex therapists or therapists that want to work more with sexuality, um, educators, anybody who, in their job, even maybe teachers who get just thrown into this. They're like, "Hey, gym teacher, we need you to come teach the health class today." Right? <sighs> That's kind of who I aimed my book for. So I wish there were an audio book. Uh, and right now, not not yet.
1: Well, we might be able to help you with that, that, (laughs) Laura, because we have a publishing arm. I mean, I'm not trying to uh, sell you on it, but I'd be great reading this book for people. But that's not the point, (laughs) okay? We are here to have a roundtable discussion, but we will talk offline about that, and I'll send you contracts and all the details. Anyway, (sighs) let's get to what we're all doing here today. Again, this is a new format for us here at the University of Pleasure. Doc, why don't you give us a little bit of insight as to what you're thinking about today?
0: Well, yeah. Do you want to give the title of the episode? Because that might, uh, you know, indicate kind of what we're going to get into.
1: I was going to after you gave an explanation of the type of thing that we were going to do today.
0: We're going to talk about the thing that's in the title?
1: Okay. All right. (laughs) I see how this day's going to go. <laughs>
0: Crack team.
1: <laughs> Don't worry, everybody out there. We are professionals. So today's this topic.
0: <laughs> this is a Saturday. There is a 20% reduction to 30% reduction in professionalism on
1: a Saturday. That is true. We do record on the weekends. All right, folks. Here's what you're all here for. Topic of the day with our fantastic panel. The complexities of consent. No means no, but what about the rest? See how well I just delivered that, Laura? Do you see why I could do your audiobook so well? Like, do you feel like just how I slipped that in there? Just it was so I'm incredibly
3: slick. impressed. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, just I'm I'm shaking over here.
1: Thank
2: you. <laughs> I want her on every episode. Uh, I I truly believe that Mr. Morgan Freeman is shaking in his boots right now. 100%. Your talent of voiceover. My silky,
1: silky sounds. Okay. Give us a little explanation now, Doc, that I have read this.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, we wanted to talk about, I think that this, this is a topic that really, I think, um, is appropriate for more of a round table kind of discussion. Right. So, So this is obviously a topic that people talk about a lot. Interestingly, we talk about consent a ton, but I would say that there's a lot of nuances to the idea of consent that we often really don't get into because it usually requires some deeper dialogue, right? Like I think, you know, sort of in that title, no means no, right? Um, Enthusiastic consent. There's these sort of phrases that we hear culturally a lot, but there's a lot of meaning and complexity, not only behind those phrases, but behind the actual dynamics that often exist around consent sexual relationships. And Ms. Rademacher here is somebody that actually speaks a lot about consent, and so that's why I thought she would be a fantastic guest to join us today.
1: Well, welcome again, Laura Rademacher. Slapeths with some wisdom. I don't know why that (laughs) happened that way out of my mouth. Don't. I'm going to cut that out, so I don't want you to think that that's how I would do your audio book, okay? I would be better. (laughs) I don't know what just happened. I started to have a, a stroke or something.
3: Yeah. Um, You're like a little like Helena Bonham Carter. Like, can you go a little like Bellatrix if I need you to oh, for this? 100%. Book?
1: Are you kidding me? Okay. I, this, we, this, this well is
3: deep. 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 <laughs> convincing me. We're getting there. Excellent.
1: <laughs> Just you wait. Shh. By the end of the episode, mm. spot on the money. <laughs> I'll be right in the tone that you want. So tell us about consent, Ms. Rademacher.
3: I think that this is one of the things that my clients end up talking about the most. And um, it, for all the talk that we hear about consent, and, and thank goodness we're finally starting to talk about consent more um, in our culture, for all the talk we hear about it, people are still really confused, and I think it brings up a lot of emotions with most people. I think it brings up a lot of emotions with most of the people that I talk about. For me, I think consent is the way to pleasure. Um and and the nuances of consent, right? Cuz of course, you want someone to be saying yes and that's going to get you to pleasure, but there's a lot of middle ground, right? What if you want to do something and you're curious about it, but you're not feeling super confident? And then you're shooting for that like enthusiastic consent, but there's part of you that's like, well, do I feel enthusiastic, but I do kind of want to try it. What do we do with that? Where's that middle ground? Um, So I think consent is a great topic, a very important one, but also a fun topic because hopefully by having more conversations and more negotiations, you're going to get closer to the kinds of sexual experiences you want to be having.
1: I love this already because I'm all about getting closer to the experience that I want to have. So (laughs) educate me.
0: Every moment of every day. That's right. (laughs) Um, You know, one of the things I think, too, Laura, just to add to kind of what you're saying around consent and, and having dialogues around it, like this is also just because of, you know, it's now association, you know, for good reason, right, with like the Me Too movements and with like, you know, greater accountability around, you know, sexual behavior, which I'm not against by any stretch of the imagination. It has, though, I think made people really nervous to talk about it. Like as a topic, I think people are like, yep, like it's easier to stay at sort of this like surface level, like very concrete definition of consent because people don't want to make mistakes. They don't want to make mistakes in the idea of what consent actually is. And so part it does create a bit of a barrier in people actually talking about it in a more nuanced ways or being honest about being confused.
1: Well, I, I mean, think some I totally agree. Really I think there's scared. a lot of confusion out there. and I'm sorry to interrupt you, Doc, but there's a lot of confusion out there about this topic. You know, and I can only say this being a, a straight man, you know, uh, and and I know people that I've had conversations with where they'll outright say, like, I don't know, man. Like I thought I knew what this all was, I thought I knew what consent was all about, you know, and I and now I'm confused and I'm nervous about it. Like you were like, you know, am I if if it's it's a delicate balance in some people's minds, right? And it brings up a lot of emotions. Cause yeah, a lot of people they they don't want to Do something that would overstep necessarily, you know, whatever a consent line is. And so I think it's good to have these kind of conversations because even even for me, I'm like, you know, okay all right, let's give me some knowledge. Because, uh, you know, what I used to know consent to be when I was like in my late teens, early 20s, I must say has evolved. As I've gotten older and understanding more, and and the more we understand the world around us, am I making any sense here?
0: You you yes. are making a lot of sense, and and Greg is being very polite and raising his hand on Skype. <laughs>
2: hey, a Skype roundtable is not an easy thing to do. So yes, <laughs> so true. that's why I raise my hand. But I, I guess I like I'm more curious because you know, like what Jeremiah was talking about, consent seems to be in between. You know. Two people, where it kind of sounded like Laura was talking about the gray area of like, hey, my own personal struggle. Like, I'm kind mm-hmm. of curious about something, but do I really want to do this? So, do we have to discuss consent in yourself first before you can discuss consent with others?
0: Craig is such an A student, isn't he? I see Laura dancing. <laughs> like,
2: I, I
1: got to be honest. Like, I, I'm just, my mouth just fell open like a cartoon character. And I was like, That was really, that was great, Greg. Well done. I don't know what it means, but it seemed really smart.
2: I mean, those people that can't see me, I do have long gray hair, so I very much am like a guru. So I I am very much in tune to what people are saying. And I do listen. Yes, you do. (laughs) And and.
1: You're a good listener. I listen well, too. I've been listening this whole time. So I'm ready to learn.
3: So Greg, what I like to, uh, I'm not saying I coined this term, I'm sure I've read it in multiple places, but when I'm talking with people about what you just said, um, I just talk about it as pay attention to your own internal consent, your own internal yes, no, or maybe. Right. And -hmm. when you start paying attention to that, what most people find is they're really not listening that you get a lot of messages throughout the day about what you want to do and what you don't want to do. And with sex and anything sexual, you get a lot of internal messages about what you want to do and what you don't want to do. And most of the time, I shouldn't say most of the time, a lot of the time, a lot of people are not using that internal information to decide what they're going to do. They're thinking about, okay, how long has it been since we had sex last? And in um, PS, when I say had sex, I mean like do anything sexual, right? Who knows what sex is for these people, but, sure. um, you know, how long has it been since we had sex? Are they going to be mad? Are they going to be grumpy if I say no? Mm, should I, you know, I feel like I should want to, but do I, right? And a lot of people end up either um, kind of going with a sexual situation when they're getting an internal no, or they're getting a maybe, and they don't know what to do with that. They don't know what to sort it out. Or maybe they're getting an internal yes. And they're also really afraid to communicate that because it's vulnerable to say like, Mm -hmm. heck, yeah, I want to do this.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. I agree wholeheartedly. I'm, I'm also curious too, from what you just kind of described, is it kind of like, more in layman's terms, like, like, listen to your gut kind of thing. Like, is that one of those things where, you know, like you, your mind tells you one thing, but like, in your heart, you're like, uh, I don't know, like, is this part of that struggle that you're talking about where everyone like, heck, let's just reduce it to academia. Like, you know, I'm taking a test. Ooh, I can think myself out of the answer, but my gut tells me to do this where we don't listen to our gut enough in our self-consent? or I'm sorry, yeah.
3: I think that happens sometimes. I think that some people are big thinkers and they can kind of get themselves turned around in their head Um, and not quite know. I think that a large portion of our society has been told not to pay attention to their internal consent. Um, For me, a lot of this comes back to the kinds of sex ed we get and don't get. Right. So, you know, Jeremiah earlier when you were saying like this isn't consent the way I thought about it when I was a teenager. Yeah, I feel really bad for our young people because the majority of them are getting no instruction on how to communicate. Yes. We're getting some instruction on how to communicate no, but it, it sometimes is developed, it sometimes is uh given in a way that kind of sounds scary. Yeah. Um, and the maybe we don't even talk about because we are so uncomfortable culturally with helping young people sort out sexual feelings or discuss sexual feelings or talk about actually wanting to be sexual that we most of the time we kind of just say like, well, don't have sex Uh, If you do, there's a lot of risks, and be careful and use condoms. And we don't really help them navigate the relationship parts of it, either with themselves, with their sexual selves. What do you want? What are you interested in? Um, What are you nervous about? Or with a partner? How are you going to say this to somebody? How are you going to hear an answer that is different than the one you were hoping to get? And what are you going to do then? Right? So, you know, young people now in some parts of the country, are getting comprehensive sex ed that includes um, sexual negotiation skills like this, or we could say positive relationship skills, because I think that's what they are, right? But most people are not. Most people are still getting either um, abstinence only or just a few hours of sex education in their whole lives. One to two hours, that's not enough time to cover much of anything that we actually need. Um, or they're getting nothing, or they're getting things that are scary, um, that are not relevant to their cultural identity, their um, sexual identity, is a whole mess.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that one of the things, Laura, too, about what you're talking about, this idea of like self-consent, you know what I mean? Like really so much of what I feel like I do on a daily basis as a clinician is helping people create space to like actually think about (laughs) those maybes or those I don't knows because a lot of times sexual decision making does feel like it needs to be very immediate and it feels like uh, you were talking about a lot of logistics right like do I have time like do I have time will my partner be upset with me if I say no or will I um, get rejected if I ask for this right and so there's a lot of like logistical other sort of oriented questions that people really get stuck in which is understandable but like there's not a lot of space for that internal reflection around like, do I want to do that? Right. Like, so, and so people tend to take very black and white approaches, right? Like if someone's like, Hey, you want to like, let's say it's something as simple as just like being sexual in some kind of way. Like, do you want to be sexual tonight? Like a lot of times if people don't know for sure, they might be like, no. But then when you actually have a dialogue with someone, they're like, well, I just wasn't sure. Right? <laughs> right. And sure. so I went with no, or for some folks, it's like, if they're really afraid of disappointing someone, they might just go with yes. Right. And engage in more of an obligatory model because they don't want to disappoint someone else. And obviously we've talked many times on this, on this podcast about how obligatory sex over time tends to become highly problematic for a variety of reasons. Um, but I do feel like a lot of the work I do with people is just helping people slow down to take that space to look at the, I don't know, to look at the maybe and to think about and to like, let it be okay that you don't know or that you feel maybe, because I do feel like that idea of enthusiastic consent means that you, it's sort of, it's like in certain ways, it's like a helpful idea, but in other ways, it sometimes puts pressure on people to feel like they should immediately know what they want, why they want it and how they want it.
3: Absolutely. And I think there's nuance that's important to convey to a partner. If you're curious about something, if you're interested in it, but you're also a little nervous about it, it's, and, and then you're like, well, okay, I'm going to be enthusiastic no matter what, right? Like I'm, I want to try it. So if I'm going to get to try this, I guess I'm going to have to like put it out there in this way that I'm really confident that can come back to bite you because I think it's much better to tell a partner I'm interested in this, or I think I might be interested in this and I'm nervous or I'm not sure, or we both need to be ready that, um, you know, we might get halfway through this and I might be like, pause, this isn't actually working for me, which is true of any sexual thing that you do, but we don't tend to have that conversation about, you know, yeah, of course you're going to try things in life. You're going to think, Sometimes things are really hot in your head and then you try them out in real life and you're like, "Oh, this is not how I imagined it." Right? So like oh, we yeah. all need the pause button. We all need the like we either need to like be able to stop and talk and recalibrate this experience a little bit or maybe that was better off in my head than in our kitchen or wherever, I don't know.
1: So let me let's give let's give an example here, okay? So since we did the anal play episode and the doc was talking about uh, prostate play, uh, my wife keeps saying like, hey, hey, time to go shopping <laughs> for uh, some prostate toys, right? Like let's jam. Let's, uh, you know, the doc may have sparked that interest and she's now no longer allowed to listen to the podcast, but that, that's <laughs> neither here nor there. But the point is that what if? I was interested in that possibility, right? So what I'm hearing is that we should have a conversation about it. Like, yes, I am in a maybe consent-oriented space, and I want to talk about it. And then, like, if we got to that situation and I decide, you know, halfway through, it's not what I thought it was going to be in my head, that I could just go, pause button i am saying i want to not saying never again but you know i think i need to stop consent wise at this moment in time because i don't feel comfortable it's all hypothetical of course Uh, i'm not saying you know i'm just you know putting it out there
2: perhaps though jeremiah i don't mean to interrupt but you could get to that place and be like holy crap this is a lot better than i thought
1: Okay, I mean, maybe that's that's just, the thing. I'm just
2: throwing that possibility out there as well because you're poo pooing it. I'm not poo pooing it. Automatically,
1: no, that's not. I'm but not poo pooing it. I am.
2: But in your story, you're taking the. I'm pausing because I, this doesn't feel right. So I, you're seeing the half, the glass half empty, where I'm telling you, from personal experience, the glass is half full at that point. All right. <laughs> and that's why I'm here. Drop the mic. I gotta go.
0: the rest right you can't go (laughs) but yeah i do think is was your question though around like the piece around like the pausing like that that's part of consent that there's that capacity to pause if you wish
1: yes yes so like if i I got there
0: laura but i would say yes
3: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I like to tell people, you know, consent and talking about what you're doing should happen before, during, and after. Right? And everybody, well, I shouldn't say everybody. We're going to get a
1: t-shirt made that says that for you, Laura. It's going to be like, it's going to be Laura Rademacher, University of Pleasure. Got to talk through it before, during, and after.
0: That is a lot of text.
3: Yeah, but look it at her, really business, really card. her business
1: card.
2: Her business card's 10 miles long.
3: You know what? You're going to try to get that on a business card, and it's just going to come out saying sex. <laughs> They're going to be like, no, nope, it's too long. It's too
1: long. Laura gonna be No, sex. it's going to be
0: a T-shirt that just says, Laura Rodemacher sex. <laughs> <laughs>
3: God, I hope those don't ever exist.
0: But <laughs>
3: <laughs> Merry Christmas, Laura. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. No, but I think that's a great example because I talk with so many people who are scared to talk during sex who feel like somehow they should be doing this movie version of like, oh, and then we just see each other and attraction happens. And then, bam, we're doing it. and We don't have to say anything. And it's amazing. And then we're done. And we both orgasmed at the same time, which is another thing that probably won't happen for you. You know, that doesn't happen. The way that you get to those high levels of pleasure is by trying the prostate play and going, okay, how's this going for you? Do you like this angle? Do you want to show me how you like this toy? Like you, do you want to put your hand on this toy and show me, okay, well now I can try to do that same motion. Um, and by people saying yes, yes, increase that or like, Whoa, slow it down a little bit. Right. There's a lot of calibration to anything that you do sexually and we are not mind readers. We cannot know what is going on. So, one of the things that research about consent shows us is that people aren't talking. They are trying to guess from silence what is going on. Totally. <laughs> and, yeah. And I understand it's vulnerable, but, but you have to learn to talk about it because you can't guess from silence. You might guess wrong. You might take
0: things a certain way. So just to follow up, Laura, on kind of what you're saying around some of that, that sexual, but the communication around consent, right? And just how confusing that can get. You know, when you, when you talk about research and stuff, you'll also see that like people are maybe expecting communication, like to be like a very verbal thing about whether they do or don't consent. Like, so for instance, we take like no means no, right? Like that's a very verbal thing, but interestingly, some people use more physical cues, to communicate that they're not interested, right? They use more physical cues. And if somebody's waiting for a more verbal cue, (laughs) right? Then they might be absolutely missing those physical cues and vice versa, right? And there's like been some really interesting studies also kind of like across gender, right? Around like how people both communicate consent and then also expect consent, right? Like what do they expect to be communicated? And a lot of times people lean very heavily They expect it to be verbal. And so also there's this idea of nonverbal consent and no's and whatnot that very frequently gets missed in sort of dialogues around consent.
3: I agree. And this is why sex can't be a game of charades, because the reason charades is funny is because we mess it up all the time.
1: 100%. And I love that game of charades. It's one of my favorites, especially at a party after a couple of drinks. Charades. Anyway. We're going to take a quick break here. And when we get back, we're going to talk more about consent, different thoughts on consent. And uh, we've got a great panel of folks here to help us through it all. So we'll be right back. And we're back to talk a little bit more about consent. And again, We know this might be a bit of an uncomfortable topic, but it's a topic that is so, so, so important on so many levels. And as I work towards my uh, degree in uh, being a self-help guru, I needed to learn about it so I could be at these conferences with these two powerful ladies and just help teach the world. So let's get back to it. Greg, you had something you wanted to say right before we stopped for our amazing break. Please continue.
2: Well, I just had a question. So, you know, growing up, like what we were taught was basically no means no. And that was the full lesson. Like, yes wasn't even on the table. Maybe I don't even think crossed anyone's mind. Totally. So,
1: definitely not maybe. Like, there was no maybe. Maybe right? it was somehow so, no. Maybe it was definitely not yes. It was only no means no. From what I remember. Which was like junior high was only I don't know ten years ago or something for me.
2: So, um, right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That would so, that would explain so,
0: so much developmentally, Jeremiah.
2: <laughs> he is wearing he is wearing the ducktails t-shirt. <laughs> ah, full circle. But <laughs> I, I, So my question, in all seriousness, is like, were we just so we were kind of, I don't want to say taught wrong, but we were only taught like the tip of the iceberg lesson
3: absolutely yeah
2: okay
3: there's so many experiences in life that would be so scary if you have to say absolutely yes or absolutely no i don't have a maybe on it right and sex is certainly one of those because i would say maybe is the most common position to find yourself in right you might be interested in being sexual in certain ways And, you know, things can change at any moment. You can be like, oh, wait, this isn't working for me anymore. And we need the flexibility as human beings to respond to those moments, right? I I think that, um, Greg, your experience is still the most common experience, right? And so think about what that does to all of us. Number one, I think it makes saying yes scary. And I think it makes saying yes sound unacceptable for some people. I've worked with a lot of clients, especially a lot of like cis female clients who feel like they can't say yes because it's going to reflect negatively on them. Or the one time they did say yes, somebody called them a slut. And so they kind of shut down their internal yes. Right. But they also feel like they kind of have to be sexual for a relationship because women get told that too. Um, I've talked with lots of cis men who feel like they're always, they should be always at a yes and they don't understand why they're not right. Like we were in a hotel after my grandma's funeral and my partner felt sexy. And I was like, why can't I do this? What's wrong with me? And it's like, well, maybe you were sad about your grandma and maybe human beings just don't always want to be sexual all the time. And that's really wonderful and fine, you know? But the the messaging that we get around sex and then people who are other genders um, beyond male and female don't get any messages really about themselves at all as far as this goes, right? Because there's just usually like crickets or sometimes there's negative stuff. So this is a problem. We don't hear how to say yes. We don't hear how to say maybe.
1: All right. So we don't know how to say yes. We don't know how to say maybe. And there's all this up and down. Now, uh, I was told that in your book that you built a spectrum on this whole topic to kind of help navigate consent in general. Am I right about that or did I totally mishear it and make it all up in my head?
3: You are totally right about it.
1: Oh, I love it.
3: Yeah. So I developed the spectrum of consent just to start to have some language around this so that people can kind of um, read about that and go, okay, I've had that experience. Okay, I've had that experience. And then to help people figure out um, how to navigate each different situation. So would it be helpful if I went through that? We can kind of talk about what each point on the spectrum. Does the spectrum have points?
2: I think spectrums have points think Well, yeah, you got to stop somewhere. A a
3: position, a position on a spectrum. Ooh, a position. I like that. It's
1: very sexy, too. And that goes into into the sexual world. Which
3: spectrum position do you want to do tonight? Yeah. (laughs) This is already
1: getting better. I like this conversation. Um,
3: Well, one of the reasons I chose this spectrum that apparently I don't understand, you know, if it has points or not is because people need to think about how their position on it can shift at any time. You can start out at enthusiastic consent and all of a sudden it can be uh, non-enthusiastic consent or it can, you know, you can start out at non-enthusiastic consent and then start to get curious, which is kind of the next step. So just understand that um, it's not like you're like, Oh, honey, where are you on the spectrum tonight? And that's the fixed point that you're going to stay at the whole time, which brings us back to that whole communication piece, right? So on one side of the spectrum is non-consent, right? No means no, um, which is great if you can say that. But as Tara so eloquently said, a lot of people find themselves communicating in nonverbal ways. Or sometimes when things shift to a no, what people find in their bodies is that they kind of just freeze up or they kind of go silent or they kind of just feel distance from themselves and they're having trouble communicating to their partner, hey, this suddenly is really not going well for me. We need to stop. I think that's one of the things I see pretty often in loving relationships where no one is trying to hurt each other, um, but something gets missed. Somebody gets to a place where they're not feeling good and internally they're at a no. They're struggling to communicate it. Their partner like maybe sees some signs of like, oh, you got distant or you got quiet or I wasn't sure how you were. Um, And sometimes people don't know what to do with that. And so the stop, the pause button doesn't happen, and then at the end you're left with this experience of, well, that really wasn't good for any of us, right? So, I think that one, you know, even even that one gets murky. I wish it was clearer.
1: I wish it was easier. Yeah, yeah I agree. And um, you know, here's a problem. I I can honestly say, from a from personal experience that I've run into, right? So, for instance, I had a sexual relationship with somebody. And then we transferred that sexual relationship into a friendship. But it was still based on a lot of like sexual joking and this type of thing, right? And, you know, back and forth, back and forth. Text messages, sexy pictures, catch each other off guard, make some jokes, right? Then all of a sudden I made a joke that was totally consistent with all the jokes that I'd made before and all the jokes that they had made before. But then all of a sudden I found out that they didn't want those jokes anymore. But I hadn't been told that there would not jokes, right? Mm-hmm. And I was totally confused because I was like, wait a minute. Like, there's all these pictures and the jokes we've always done. They're always the same. Something between that time frame clearly happened, but I wasn't given the info. And so then I laid this joke out there and it was like, it's not okay anymore. Well, okay. I would never have done it had I known that it wasn't okay anymore ahead of time. Do you follow what I'm saying here? And that's where it feels yes. like things get murky because had I just known never in a million years would I have done something, you know what I mean? Made a joke that was still in that realm, you know, if they no longer were comfortable with it. You follow what I'm saying? Am I making uh, sense here, anybody? Yeah. Yeah. You're making
3: oh, a yes. of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's a situation where a lot of the emotions come up, you know, like jeremiah i bet you felt a lot of things about like oh crap i didn't mean to do that i and now i feel like a jerk well, That I felt, I, kinda, I felt horrible yeah
1: it, made, right. it literally made me sick when they came and they were like you can't do that it makes me so uncomfortable now and i was like oh my god like i would never force anybody to be in an uncomfortable position like that right and but then without but i didn't have the knowledge that it was no longer acceptable all I could go on was what I knew was always the relationship, right? And so then all of a sudden here it was where without that person explaining to me, I I felt terrible. I still feel
2: terrible about it. Well, yeah. good question, other than you know, you just got the abrupt no stop doing this, did you ever have a conversation or were you ever able to dive deeper as to what changed in the dynamic of your relationship to oh, go from position A to position B?
1: No, Absolutely. I outright asked. And we had a conversation about an argument that we had had and, uh, in between the time of the, the basic part of our relationship to that moment. And they said, you know, we had this big fight and I don't this, you know, and I just kind of changed things for me. And I don't want to, you know, make those kind of jokes anymore. And I was like, gosh, I would have never never would have even correlated the two, right? So, though we had that discussion, you know, I still feel badly about it, you know, and and I just wish I had known that that shift had happened. And I think that's might be where it comes in, you know, who knows? Like, maybe the maybe was still there that those jokes were okay and they didn't know until that moment happened Mm -hmm. that I made the joke. And then they said after the fact that it made them upset. And in, in that that's where I feel like when it comes to consent, things that's why I feel like people get a little gun shy. Does that make any sense?
0: It does. I think that that <laughs> that spot, right, like what you just said, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Sometimes somebody is like sort of in like maybe a like, yes, or even ambiguous, like kind of maybe space with something. And then there is this like moment where they go, oh, no, now I'm clear. It is a no, right? But the thing has already happened. Right. And so, and it was the thing that they needed to help clarify where they were indeed at. And I think that it's, it is really tricky, right? Cause like you're giving a good example, Jeremiah, where like you're, you had no malintent, right? Like you, you didn't have malintent to like harm somebody. And, you know, to give that person the benefit of the doubt, I'm assuming they didn't have malintent to like, I don't know, be like stringing something along or not telling you something that they actually knew. And I think that that's part of when we talk about the nuance of this dynamic and how complex it really is, like that's part of. You all right?
1: <laughs> yeah, but just bought my table.
0: <laughs> um, that's great. Um, I mean, that's the that's the complexity, right? Like sometimes people, sometimes people don't know until they've tried a thing, and then all of a sudden the thing has been tried, and they're like, "Oh, whoops, yeah, no, I didn't like it." And then that's where you know, because of the way, and you know, Laura, I'd also be interested in your thoughts of this, but I think because of the way we we often approach these topics in very all or nothing ways. Like, there then struggles to be compassion for that, like, miscommunication. And then it's about, like, someone didn't care or, like, someone did something wrong. Like, someone's at fault. Whose fault is this? Versus it being like, what if it was really complex? And that's why this happened. And all you can do is to try to make amends as best as you can about the situation. And, you know.
3: Yeah, and that's well, I
1: mis- mean, in, in this situation, I, t- I completely apologized. I... I felt horrible. I told them I felt horrible. And, and then, you know, I never made another joke like that again. Our relationship continued on after that. For, but, you know, it was – that's where it felt so like, you know, especially when I talk to uh, other cisgender men. Did I use that – did I do the terminologies right, by the way?
3: You did it. Good oh. job.
1: God, today is a day of winning. I feel it. Um, But, you know, the, they get uncomfortable for the same type of reasons, right? Because we're taught – no means no, period, right? And then you're into a situation and that maybe is kind of there and maybe you start there, right? Or you're going off of knowledge you used to have and maybe the maybe changed and you did something like we're talking about. And then all of a sudden that maybe became a definite, you know what? Not no more. And then, you know, we, because, you know, nobody wants to hurt people. Like, I mean, obviously there are bad people out there, but, you know, majority of people don't want to hurt somebody or make them feel bad about themselves or uncomfortable. And, and then all of a sudden, so you're in that maybe, and then it becomes the a, a hard no, but you already have the situation. You're like, oh, God. And I think that's where a lot of things come up. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah. But I think, Jeremiah, the way that you handled that situation is a great example of how to handle it so that even if there's still some uncomfortable feelings there, it sounds like the two of you got to a good point on the other side of it, of like, okay. You know, we we've made some adjustments. Our friendship doesn't include that anymore. Let's continue on with our friendship that includes all the things that feel good to us that we want to continue. And I think that um I've talked with so many. Um I think when you say, you know, this is especially hard um for cisgender men, I see that where where they Often feel like, well, does this mean somehow I'm a sexual predator?
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, my
3: God, I've gotten this message? Am I a sexual predator now? Or I've worked with couples where something goes wrong. They're in a really good relationship. They've got good communication. Power balance is pretty good. Maybe they're out drinking together one night. One of them gets a little more drunk than the other. He gets pushy during sex in a way that leaves the other person feeling like oh, that was really not okay with me to the point where I don't feel like I want to have sex with you again until we can talk about this, right? And it usually doesn't feel that clear inside that partner. I'm kind of like shortening the process of getting to like, how do you feel about this, right? Um, Because they don't want to feel like they're calling their partner a rapist. I think everyone's very scared about talking about this aspect. And I think we need to be able to talk about the times where um you know something happens that's not okay and people need to be able to hear that message without going to a place of wait a second you're calling me a predator or like oh my god I'm going to be canceled now right? Right, right um because if we can't talk about it then What that means is that people who are having bad sexual experiences or people who, you know, the person who feels like their boundaries being crossed doesn't feel like they can say it, doesn't feel like they can express it because they're like, oh, my gosh. So let's let's imagine the situation a little differently. Right. Let's imagine that your friend did not think that you were going to be able to hear this message from her. It is possible that she wouldn't have said anything or she would have been like, oh, ha ha, but like not really responded the way she used to. And maybe you would have kept sending things. You would have kept joking around, thinking everything was the way it was. Right. And she would have gotten more and more uncomfortable. And at some point she would have been like, you're crossing so many boundaries with me, right? Or like you crossed this boundary with me and I didn't know how to tell you. If you were the type of person that was like, how dare you say that to me? We've done this before. Don't tell me now it's not okay. Like, if you got defensive, right? If you felt so bad that you had crossed a line that instead of having that conversation you had with her about, like, I'm so very sorry. Can we talk a little bit about what changed just so that I can understand? Right? You might have shut that whole process down. And then it would have really started to feel like a more complex and more intense boundary crossing situation instead of the conversation that you had where you were like, well, that was still, um, you know, I still felt some difficult feelings in that. I still felt worried. I still felt really bad about what happened, but I feel good about the way we talked about it and that we got to a different place. And I'm assuming your friend is feeling really good that she was like, okay, I said that. And it was heard and it was respected. And we got to, you know, continue on in the relationship in the way that felt comfortable for me
1: right
0: Tara what do you I know yeah it's complex. just just and it is complex but I think just to I don't know if this language is right but I think that there is <clears throat> I think that sometimes and we've talked about this so much on this podcast right like like sometimes uncomfortable stuff like sex is hard to negotiate and there aren't like these clear lines and sometimes there are going to be uncomfortable things that happen, it really, how you react to them matters, right? Because there's a difference between something being uncomfortable and something making someone feel victimized, right? And there's sometimes a journey in there, right? Like, Like, for instance, that example you just gave Laura, where somebody might struggle to really maybe set a boundary or to say that they're uncomfortable about something that then that uncomfortability starts to accumulate over time. That's when people start to feel victimized. And to me, those are different spaces. I don't know about you, Laura, but I've worked with a lot of married couples or long-term couples where stuff like this has come up, where it was actually something that maybe was just uncomfortable, but somebody was really struggling to say it. And usually for legitimate reasons, but again, there was no real intent to harm on either their end, but harm started to accumulate over time to a degree where someone started to feel more victimized in a situation. And, and I think that like, it's something like, you know, you brought up, you know, this is a friendship with someone, right? Like when people have sort of established patterns of behavior with each other, we tend to just kind of go with the pattern, right? Unless new information is thrown in. Right. And so to me, it's that, like what we're having a dialogue about is how to communicate with yourself maybe more effectively. So, and like identify and take pause and space in yourself more effectively so you can communicate things that you are uncomfortable with or are difficult for you more effectively and and ideally sooner so that, that that harm doesn't accumulate over time into feeling victimized. And obviously there are other much more overt examples of this that are, like that are very, Clearly, rape, right? That right. are very clearly sexual victimization in very overt, clear ways. So I don't want to pretend that those things don't absolutely exist because they do. No,
2: of course they do. Of course they yeah. do. Yeah,
0: yeah. I don't. Lord, did that make sense to oh, you? Oh, I'm so glad you
3: said all that because I I agree completely. I see a lot of the same things in my practice, and I think it's a really tough thing to navigate because I do think it's really important for people to um look into themselves and figure out how they're feeling and communicating that and i also um and that's a big part of why i want to talk about this we also can't slide too far into kind of like a blame the victim space of like, well, why didn't you say anything? Or why didn't you mm-hmm. do anything? Cause it gets complex for people whose boundaries are crossed too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said earlier, sometimes people go to a place where they want to say no and it doesn't come out of their mouth, but their whole body feels frozen or, you know, they kind of distance themselves and kind of feel like they're not really a part of what's going on anymore. And um, those can be really confusing experiences. That when I hear them, I'm like, oh, yeah, that happens. I talk with lots of people about that. That sounds really familiar to me. But imagine if that happened to you and you hadn't had an experience of it before and now you're trying to explain it to another person. It sounds very confusing. Right. right? Yeah. So it's partially about that internal piece of like clarifying your yes, no's and maybes and expressing them. I also think we all need to get better at hearing this from people. We all need to get better at hearing from somebody, Hey, that didn't feel good to me, or you crossed a boundary, or we're going to need to talk about the thing that happened the other night, because I still feel kind of funky about it. It didn't sit well with me. And to really like, listen to what people are saying and try not to get defensive, take that information in and try to figure out, well, what can you do? Because, you know mistakes and and messiness happen. But we can compound that and make it worse. If we get so defensive that we say like, well, you're just being too sensitive, or, um, you know, all the things that people say, to kind of deny that harm has occurred. It's much better to go, Oh, no, some harm has happened here. How can I number one, stop doing that and not do it again? Number two, is there anything I can do to make it better?
1: Absolutely. I mean in my scenario I literally just said, "Okay. I I I said I'm sorry that this happened, that you were uncomfortable. I was not aware that this I was just going by uh, by paraphrasing obviously now it was a long time ago, but you know what our past history has always been. And but I just I need some clarity moving forward if our friendship continues that, you know, there's no more no more sexual jokes of any kind, no more sexual innuendo. Like I just want to make sure like that I know what the new parameters are, so that I can then best you know abide by said parameters, right? Neither sex like, so no sexual innuendos. you know, we've been hanging out, and I just want to be very clear as to what you're comfortable with moving forward. And they said, yes, that's how I would like to keep it just no more uh, none of that, none of this. And it wasn't so much that it was hard to hear. I actually felt relief being told very straightforward information that then was like, you know, as I like to always say here is like at the University of Pleasure like bumper bowling, like, all right, I got it. <laughs> this is, you know, the where my ball's going to bounce around in here, you know, and that's that's my my lane. So um, but it's so wonderful to hear, you know, also because, you know. It, can, uh, it was initially very shocking to hear that something I did, A, hurt anybody or made them feel uncomfortable in any way, shape, or form, especially a friendship of so many years. But then at the same point in time, it, it, the, that uncomfortable nature, and we always talk about it here at the University of Pleasure is that communication is key. And you know, getting that information actually felt, I felt more relief because then I did understand what my lane was afterwards you know it was hard to hear hard you know and i still had to process it and go okay but you know because they don't want to hurt people but then at the same point in time to now know where you sit and where you you know where your relationship boundaries are felt really good so this is just it's mm-hmm. wonderful to hear this come from you know two rock star professionals to gain an <laughs> understanding of of, of of a conversation that is difficult to have so ladies are rock stars <laughs> well,
2: you go for- I mean, Jeremiah had a great example that actually involved open, direct communication. I'm assuming that is not the norm in most cases. (laughs) Uh, And and, I mean, if I'm wrong, but it's like, I guess from from a position of what happens when you don't have, like say you get nonverbal cues, you try a conversation or you try to bring it up, and you don't get a response or you don't get, you know, like he got closure. He was like, I'm happy. I was told directly what was wrong. I'm assuming that a lot of people, because of their internal conflict, won't know how to express that. So if you are more confident like Jeremiah is in being direct with people, but you don't have someone that can mirror that, like what do you do then? Like, like what kind of, you know, quicksand have you now jumped into and how do you navigate that to make sure that, you know, the difficult conversation, first of all, can be had. And that secondly, it's done in a way that is best for both parties.
3: Yeah. Sometimes you don't get to have a conversation you know, and sometimes whoever's boundary has been crossed doesn't feel like they're ready to have a conversation. You know, Jeremiah, when you said, well, you know, lay out the parameters for me of our friendship, like, tell me how this is going to be. I thought to myself, like your friend sounds like a person who really had a good understanding of what they wanted, you know, what they needed in that situation. Not everybody has that. And that's not their fault that's not anything that's wrong with them it's okay for us to be confused about things and to not always know right so sometimes people aren't going to want to have a conversation or you're just getting this vibe of like something's off this person isn't responding the way I would expect um and I always say in that moment you know hit that pause button back off a little bit Give someone time to process something. If you're having a conversation about it and the conversation is getting confusing or, or you don't know where to go, saying something like, um, I'm always open to, to talk more about this, um, you know, and I'll follow your lead. So you tell me what you want to tell me. And and until then, I'm just going to follow your lead, right? If you're actually in a physical situation with somebody where you're being sexual and it seems like it's going well, and then suddenly something feels odd. I always say, hit the pause button, stop whatever you're doing and just say like, Hey, are you still with me? Are you still having a good time? Um, it seems like you got real quiet or it seemed like, you know, you were responding and then you kind of stopped. So I just wanted to check in. And I always think it's better to have some kind of sexual experience where you kind of pause and you're like, that's okay, like, no big deal, but it kind of feels like something just changed. So let's just stop and we can do this again another time if we want to, you know, that's a better situation to end up with than one later, where you kind of know that something is awkward, and you kind of keep going because maybe you're feeling embarrassed, um, or you just don't know what to do, or whatever. And then later on, you find out like, oh, that really, truly wasn't okay for that person. And now it's a totally different kind of situation. And I feel
0: awful. I think too, Laura, in terms of what you're saying is is something that I think is that I talk to clients about a lot and just generally, and we've talked before about on here is like decatastrophizing the pause, right? Because people feel like... (laughs) pausing both I think acutely during a sexual interaction or even in like the context of a sexual relationship something is terribly wrong right like like people get very much in like all right we we begin a sexual encounter if there's any need for pause somebody has really messed something up or something's really gone awry and it feels big like it that pause yeah whatever for a lot of people feels really scary. And so trying to really work to like, reframe and normalize, I think, like I talk with people a lot about like the pause is an important part of a sexual encounter. Like the capacity for a pause and that it's not the end of the world to like, and we talk about it like I talk about, like in the context of like sexual struggles around like erectile dysfunction or sexual pain or, like, you know, physical issues where people are like, well, I just kept going, even though, Everything was, I was feeling terrible about like how my body was working or what was going on with my partner's body because everyone's so afraid, like there's so much anxiety in that pause. And by no means am I saying you need to get rid of the anxiety, but like letting it be okay. Like that anxiety is normal. It's reasonable. And the more you just like, let it be cool to take that pause. I think, you know, that anxiety starts to go down over time because it becomes a regular part of sort of the sexual dynamic that you have with another person. If that I don't know if that made sense. It
1: totally made sense, Doug. A hundred percent made sense. Sorry, I was trying new voices to see if these were anything she would like me to do for the her new book. Yeah.
0: Not not that one though. Oh not okay. that
1: one. That's All right. good.
0: Listen. <laughs> I mean, Laura, do you see that that same kind of catastrophizing of the pause? Absolutely. Absolutely.
3: I've talked with people where they say on some level I knew that something was not okay too. Even though my partner wasn't saying it out loud, I was reading it from their body language or, you know, they were just different in the way that I registered. And I don't know why I didn't stop, except I was embarrassed. And I thought it was my job to like, keep going and make this good, you know, like bring this back from the, I don't think that usually happens. I think that usually when we hit a place where something is clearly not quite right, I don't think if we just keep going and keep doing the same thing or like try to do it like faster or, you know, more intensely, Mm -hmm. that usually doesn't fix things. Um, And again, you're playing charades. You're trying to fix something when you don't know what it is. You don't know what's going on and you don't know what your partner wants or needs in that situation. So I love the pause. I think the pause is essential. And I think that's the way that you get better sex too. You know, I mean, the pause is good even when things are not going badly. Yeah. You're totally like, totally
1: oh. agree. And we've <laughs> talked about this in past episodes, you know, where like, you know, I've, I've said as, you know, a cisgender man, like, hey, yeah, there's no roadmap here. You know, I don't, you know, I got no, if you don't tell me, I don't know, you know. So, commu- like, we always say communication, that sort of thing. But like, you know, if we're playing charades and trying to, you know, like, you know, it's that weird thing of like that when some, one person's trying to like walk out a door and the other person's walking in the door, it's like, which way are we? going over here (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) so like it becomes that awkward moment like but if we you know if something feels strange and you can just pause communicate it you're going to build a bridge to you know the rainbow of better sex right
2: (laughs) sure um (laughs) embrace the rainbow is that what you're saying embrace the rainbow 100 percent
0: but before I know that we're probably running out of time, but get, can I just bring up one other, like just one more thing, right? It <laughs> wouldn't be thing. you without it. It
2: would not be me <laughs> without it. right? Can I, just, can I
0: just everybody? Um, I do think it's really, I think without a lot of times when we talk about consent, people sort of automatically put it in a heterosexual cisgender dynamic between men and women. Right. And it's like, in our brains we're maybe not saying it out loud but like many people that might be like the image that they have and there's a lot of folks that may not have that image right in their brain but like that's sort of an assumption and i do think like when we talk about like the idea of sexual victimization we talk about the idea of consent like these are things that happen across sexual orientations across gender identities and in certain ways really that sort of narrative around like only, I think culturally we've really heavily focused on it in a heterosexual dynamic. And in many ways, like it's good that we're focusing it all on it at all now and talking about it at all. But in many ways, like it, it doesn't then help us, you know, in like, for example, like, like in same sex, sexual relationships, right? Like, how can this come up? Because if we assume like, ah, it's like miscommunication between men and women. Right. Well, right. Like if we, if we don't talk about it in broader scopes, it really doesn't help other people also develop those skill sets because absolutely like, you know, you look at statistics on cisgender men, you know, around like reports of victimization, right. And we know that it's drastically underreported and we're seeing higher and higher degrees of people reporting, not just sexual victimization from other men, sexual victimization from women or sexual victimization from people across the gender spectrum. And so to me, it's, it's just something important to say out loud. And I don't know if you have anything you want to add to that, Laura, but
3: I just want to say, thank you for saying that. Um, I think that's very, very true. Um, and I think that I've had you know, couples in my office who are like, this doesn't happen in the queer community. So it must not be happening to us, you know, like, or like I've had like two people who identify as cisgender women who say, well, like a woman can't assault another woman. Right. And kind of downplay like, oh, there's some things happening here that are clearly not okay with your partner. Um, So yeah, this can happen to anybody in you know at any i don't want to say at any time that sounds scary it can happen to anybody at any time (laughs) this is this is just
2: part i went to the store and i didn't get consent
3: Uh. (laughs) (laughs) this is just part of navigating sexual relationships and you know that's the other part is i keep coming back to this education thing which is you know the thing that i kind of harp on Um, but. One thing is, while people in heterosexual, while we don't get much information about how to navigate heterosexual sex, there's almost no sex ed about uh, queer sex, uh, how this might function for people of gender. Yeah, right. Right. And so then, you know, people, young people just hear nothing about themselves and then they tune out because they're like, this isn't for me, this is for straight people, you know? Um, Or even if there's not even a sense of, if there's a less clear sense of identity at that point, it's just like, oh, this just doesn't really feel like it applies to me. Right. So we really need to be talking about this in a way that is going to, um, you know, be applicable for everyone. And we need to make sure that the messaging about this is including
0: that. So Tara, I'm so thankful you said that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I think just to like, cause I know, I know we, I see Jeremiah, we have to wrap it up. Yes. I see his face. I know it so well now, but if I can do a little summary of something and just to make sure that Laura approves this summary.
2: Yes. If it's uh- okay.
0: <laughs> right. So like, cause we've sure. meandered through some woods and back. Right. <laughs> just-, mm-hmm. just to put a bow. Right for me i think some of the things that we're talking about like if i were to distill them down a lot of them are about like consent is both ways like both within oneself right like really working to understand your your own sort of yeses nos and maybes creating letting it be okay to have a maybe letting it be okay to have an i don't know and finding ways to maybe get help creating some space for those right giving yourself permission even to create space for those and then also when you think of it from a partner dynamic perspective Like if someone's coming to you and saying they're uncomfortable, that willingness to be open and non-defensive and not to get into that, like working really hard to like, you know, to hear someone saying they felt uncomfortable and that that uncomfortability isn't maybe someone being like saying, like, I believe you're a rapist or I believe you were trying to harm me because I see so many dialogues about what could be an issue resolved very quickly go very awry because someone is highly defensive about it sure and so i don't know laura how do you feel about this summary or what would you add to this summary
3: i love that summary i would say that any of these if any of these things are coming up in your life it's a great time to seek out a therapist especially someone who has training in sexuality just because it can be helpful to have that kind of support this is the kind of stuff that brings up a lot of uh feelings and, um, having someone that you can talk to in a non-judgmental way who can also kind of say, well, huh, I wonder if this is going on or, you know, have you thought about this can be the kind of support that you might need. And that might be a little harder to get from people who are closer to the situation. Um, and I also wanted to say on the spectrum of consent, we only talked about (laughs) non-consent, which I think, the conversation we had, I think, was more important than going through the whole spectrum. But I did just want to say, like, the spectrum doesn't just consist of non consent. There's other stuff in there that's like more fun. So,
2: um, so so, I guess we'll have to all get your book. That's ended, what, he, what. Thank you, saying. Greg.
1: See, this was he, he could he knew it. That was what was coming next. It was I was like ready to jump on. <laughs> well, that's why everybody should read her book. I don't right. <laughs> Which is yep, 100% right. true. If you would like some more information about this topic, it is not an easy topic to talk about. And as the doc said, we came in and out and meandered around. But there there are a lot of other nuanced parts to this. And obviously- We could have
0: a four-hour roundtable and not be done. Exactly. Yeah, right? like exactly. We, would, we could just keep going and going and going.
1: But if you would like to learn more about it, please take the time uh you can go to amazon and get the book the principles of pleasure working with the good stuff as sex therapists and educators in a way to help you gain a little bit more education in this world around these things understanding her um how did we put it it wasn't not points cuz we didn't want to say points we were saying positions position
2: position yes.
1: <laughs> cuz it is uh-huh. it, it is much sexier You know, (laughs) where we have, (laughs) you know, the positions on on her scale of um, understanding consent. And it is just such an important conversation to have. We are so grateful to have Laura here with us today. Thank you so much for being here. Again, go to Amazon, check out her book, The Principles of Pleasure, Working with the Good Stuff as Sex Therapists and Educators to Have a Better Understanding of This World And I am grateful to both the doc and to Laura for helping educate me today. As I always say, I love being here to learn just as much as the next person. There's still a lot of stuff that I don't know about, which I know is shocking to our listeners out there.
2: (laughs) You
0: know, I was going to give you a compliment and then you, you know, you went there, but I'll still give it to you. I feel hesitant to reward you for that last bit. But I will say thank you for being vulnerable with your own story, Jeremiah, about about crossing somebody's line, because those are really hard things for people to talk about now. And I think that for you to like go in a public forum and talk about that is actually a very helpful thing to help people learn.
1: Well, we're all about learning here. Thank you very much, Doc. I appreciate that. And I appreciate everyone. Thank you so much, Greg, our correspondent who goes nowhere to do correspondence other than from his home, because we're still in the midst of a global pandemic. And to all of those out there who are struggling, hopefully the light truly is at the end of the tunnel. Today brought you a little bit of pleasure. And uh, you learned a little bit of something. And again, um, grateful for all of our listeners out there. So please stay safe. Stay healthy, and we will talk to you all again next week. Thank you, Greg. Thank you so much, Laura, and see you later, Dak.
0: Bye. Bye. Bye.
3: Bye.